Welcome to episode 19, American Football Movies. On this episode, Johnny and Eddie discuss movies based on or revolving around the gridiron. Johnny talks about a recent movie he watched about Hitler and Bigfoot, and Eddie mentions an interview he saw with Hulk Hogan discussing actor Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We invite you to grab some popcorn and your favorite beverage, take a seat, and put up your feet, because we're talking movies. Welcome back. I'm Johnny Popcorn. And I'm Eddie Klieg, and we're Talking Movies. Eddie, before we get started, uh, usually I do a little talking. I'm going to bring up something here. We talk all the time about actors and how we like to watch certain actors and so on. And I'm going to talk about something. I I decided I was probably going to do this. I've rejected it a couple times. I decided to watch a movie that had a really weird title, but it had a guy in it, Sam Elliott, who I like. He's a, you know, for those of you out there, he was in Roadhouse, and he's played a lot of cowboys on TV, particularly the Sackets and so on. And he's been been around a while. Uh, but I like him. And he's aged now, and he's kind of with uh, weathered. Well, I saw this title, and he's in it, so I said, I'll take a look at it. And it's called, and many of you, some of you may have seen it, The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. And actually, I said, oh, man, what a throwaway. Do I have to waste two hours doing this? Well, anyway, it's less than a two hours. But what really struck me, the thing about looking at any film, you never know who's behind this. And I was surprised this was actually produced by two top names in the film industry who've made some pretty significant films. John Sayles, who made Mate One and Eight Men Out, and he's known for socially conscious dramas. And the other executive producer was Douglas Trumbull, has his own production company, but he's more famous early on, at least, for developing some of the special effects that were used in some of the early space movies, like 2001, A Space Odyssey. So these are pretty top-caliber people. The movie, actually, it's interesting. He has a background where apparently he did shoot Hitler, and there was they make a point about there were three or four Hitlers, you know, to protect him. Anyway... And then he takes, he's called on to go after the Bigfoot because it's spreading virus throughout the Northwest, and he's an ultimate tracker. But that's not the real story. That's the sideline. But really, it's an unrequited love story, which I'm not going to get into that. But I actually felt, just like we've said before, sometimes if you really like the actor, you can look past a lot of stuff, and he makes it work. And... Elliot is played as a young man by a guy by the name of Aiden Turner, who's now very, very popular for the Poldark series on PBS Masterpiece Theater. But anyway, I watched it, Eddie. It's kind of interesting, and I had fun, and it, it kind of worked for what it was. So there you go. Were there Pretty any stay. any um, real scenes of Bigfoot? Oh, yeah. He wrestles with him. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he, he's actually, wow. there's a couple of kind of gross scenes about it, but he tracks him, and he takes him on and he feels bad about what he actually did. There's some honor involved in the competition. It's So it's actually kind of interesting, but there's a relationship with his brother who's also the town barber. You don't realize that early on when he's talking to him. You think he's just talking to a barber, but it turns out it's his brother. It's his confidant and his younger brother who he left behind when he went off to serve in World War II. So there's some poignant parts here, with, and particularly with the unrequited love situation. Are you talking about the Bigfoot? His brother was a <laughs> no, barber? Because, no. man, that's going to take well, forever. Well, that would really been a twist. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Sam Elliott is not Bigfoot. He does not play Bigfoot in this. But the FBI and the Shadow State and all that stuff is in here. So, But it, it kind of works. Uh, uh, anyway, so where, where are we going today, Eddie? That has nothing to do with what we're doing, I know, but where, where are we going today? <laughs> well, Johnny, <laughs> we're talking football, a- and not the kind of football that, you know, everybody except America calls football. We're talking American NFL-ish football. The old pigskin. Yeah. Uh, which has really made a cow hide, but that's a, we're not going to quibble on that. <laughs> I say ish because I think some of the movies are about college and stuff like that, but... American football. There you go. There you go. Uh, there have been a lot of films made. When you start looking, there's a lot of movies that are made either about a football team. People play football. People was, football is a backdrop. The game itself. 
so on and so forth, or people who played football and are now doing something else. I just took a quick look at uh, how this, what you might say, that this ball game got started. Do you realize, you know who the Marx Brothers were? I mean, that's before both of our times, actually, but their their stuff is available. Uh, yeah, Marx Brothers, they're the ones that flew the plane. <laughs> yeah, Groucho and his brothers. Uh, anyway, they started one of the early ones. There's even one before this, a silent movie, but I'm not even getting into this. But the when the talking movies, Horse Feathers with uh, Groucho is the president of a college and he brings in a bunch of ringers to try to uh, you know, spice up things. But the, the movie that really got the thing started, and you can look back, and it was made even more significant because the gentleman who played in it became president of the United States, and I'm talking about Newt Rockne, which made 1940 about the famous Notre Dame uh, University coach who unfortunately was killed in a plane crash in 1931. But he's the guy that, along with his teammate, when he played at Notre Dame, created the forward pass, first used it. He and Gus Doré. Uh, they used to practice it on the beach at Cedar Point in Ohio. So what did they do before a pa- forward pass? They just, just ran, ran it? They just ran that baby, yeah. that would they, they, The famous one is against Army, but uh, which they made a point of in the movie. Anyway, it was Newt Rockne. He became the coach. He, first he, started, he went to Notre Dame, played at Notre Dame, became a chemistry professor, then became the coach. But the reason that movie resonates is because in there, the famous player, George Gipp, who died... Uh, well, while there, he got a serious throat infection, probably strep or diphtheria, they think, got pneumonia and died. And he's portrayed by Ronald Reagan in the movie, who, when he's he's on his deathbed, he says, well, when someday, Rock, when the, when the odds are against the boys, tell him to go win one for the Gipper. And Ronald Reagan, of course, became synonymous with the Gipper. And when he ran for president, that got that movie got really spiced up. So he started it, and then that reconnected with the famous movie that came out in 1993, Rudy. So Notre Dame is really was really kind of a focal point for a couple of movies that are in this genre. And uh, Rudy, of course, is Rudy Rudiger, the guy who wanted to go to Notre Dame, escape his possible future in the steel mill, and had to go to a secondary college to get into Notre Dame and did play was on the practice team and did play. It's more or less a stay-by-your-dream kind of story based on true elements. And there's there's some things they fudged in the movie to make it dramatic, but they, you would expect that. So there we go. That gets us started. I'll, I'll mention a couple other things as we go through here, but go ahead, Eddie. We'll take one. We, we picked up five. We'll talk about some others just in passing, but we've taken five each like we did before and lead it off. Okay, so I don't have any um, order or... No. I'm just grabbing the first one here. The first one uh, that I have here is the 2006 movie Invincible, directed by Eric Sincor, starring Mark Wahlberg as Vince Papali. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Papali, I think. Greg Kinnear as Dick Vermeil. Yep. This is uh, based on a true story about a Philadelphia Eagles fan who in 1976 lost his wife from divorce, lost his teaching job, and he decides one day to show up for an open tryout for his favorite NFL team, only to see his wildest dreams come true. Mark uh, Wahlberg, again, he plays Vince. He's, he's really good in this movie. I, I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It, it's I mean, it's kind of, you know, make lemonade out of lemons type yeah, of thing. Yeah, right. It, it's, again, it's, it's, it's kind of like the Rudy thing. You know, you got a dream. It seems impossible, and people tell you you'll never get it done, and uh, you can't get there. He played three seasons with the Eagles right? Uh, and was the special teams captain in 1978, and primarily he did special teams catching. Um, and I thought one thing that's pretty interesting, Greg Kinnear researched his role by spending time with Dick Vermeil, who was in his final year of head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. He tagged along and... That's pretty cool. I like the research of the role thing. Like we were talking about somebody, uh, oh, we're Nick Cage. He went down to the right. South right. so he can get his dialect right. Or, um, you know, people that I've, I've seen before, people that are in prison movies, they'll actually somehow, I don't know, spend time, spend in, time the- in the prison. Iron Man 2, Mickey Rourke, 
who was a Russian in a Russian prison or somewhere over there, went into one of those prisons for a little while just yeah. to see what it was like. It, that, that's crazy. Elizabeth Banks is also in this movie. And the budget was $40 million. Uh, it only grossed $58 million. So it made back its money plus a little, but that's it. I think more people have seen it on DVD and on TV, and it, it's well worth kind of watching because it, he sells it. I mean, Wahlberg is an every everyday kind of guy. I mean, he is. I mean, his background. And didn't he? He actually served a little time, did he not? Yeah, he, yeah, he did. I mean, he rebuilt his entire thing through music and acting now and the restaurant chain, you know, the Wahlburgers. Yeah, his brother's a, a in the food industry. I have seen most of his, here again, we get into actors, and somehow you get kind of on a track and you see them, either they're playing with somebody else who you're watching, but I've seen most of his movies, and they're usually pretty good. I mean, particularly the ones where he's either action-oriented and so on. Uh, Vermeil's an interesting guy because you know how I feel about Bill Walsh, the, the great coach, right. uh, and having lived on the West Coast. Well, he and Vermeil were on the same staffs in many cases, uh, a couple of places they were on the same, very same coaching staff in college. In fact, all these guys all have links when you look right. back through. And But he took the Eagles, resurrected them. So it's a great story. Uh, and uh, well worth watching. I mean, we talk about that all the time. Entertainment, is it worth watching, Mel? Decide for yourself. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a scene in there where they play, uh, they're playing football out in the yard. Reminds, oh, yeah. Reminds me when I was uh, younger, we'd go over uh, one of my uh, great uncle's houses. Right after dinner, before dessert, we would go out in the street and play a little tag football. So reachable, you know? It, it's something that, I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. It's not like you can go down and walk onto a team. But actually, this year in the NFL, there was at least one case I can think of that actually was a type of walk-on who got a shot he didn't end up making the team, but for the the brown and orange. Oh, the brown and orange. You mean the Cleveland Browns? Yeah. Oh, that guy, I want to say Philippi, but it's something. The guy yeah. ran the 85, 86-yard punt return. Yeah, and they were all piling on him. Yeah. And, you know, well, he, he, was, uh, he got cut. He got he didn't <laughs> cut, but. <laughs> he played. He played. He may be end up back, back on a practice. You know, again, you know. it's the classic, if you don't try, the worst that's going to happen is that you're not going to make it. But the regret will be not trying. This is part of these these movies. Rudy, there's so many evidence in, in almost any area of life. If you didn't try it, that's the bigger regret. You don't want to be sitting there at 85 on your porch saying, you know, when I was 25, if I had just taken the road that way, the old Robert Frost fork in the road. Yogi says if you come in a fork in the road, you take it. Well, right. if you didn't take either one of them, you're going to be kicking yourself. And that's why these movies really resonate. And you see an average guy, that's why everybody cheers him on. Right, exactly. And his, and his father didn't think he was going to be anything either. No, though. He's a pretty nasty character in there, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole backstory <laughs> yeah, with his yeah, family yeah, and stuff that yeah. you got to go see. It's on DVD. Yeah. Well, I'm going to just uh, start off here with uh, kind of a semi-classic, I suppose, only because if you're a Burt Reynolds, and of course Burt Reynolds died not too long ago, and uh, as I saw one thing, if you're still mourning the loss of Burt Reynolds, then dig into one of his best film roles from that individual's perspective as Paul Wrecking Crew, an ex-pro baller who happens to be in prison and puts together a group of inmates to battle the, well, not-too-nice guards uh, put together by the warden, who's played by uh, Eddie Albert. It it was redone uh, with, what, Adam Sandler just a few years ago, right? Yeah, and, he, and Burt Reynolds is actually plays a character in that movie. An older character yeah, now. Yeah, of course, older, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, when this movie came out, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty well-received, one, because Burt Reynolds was fairly popular, and this was a couple of years after he did Deliverance, and before he did the Smokey and the Bandit series, it's kind of in between there, but he had star power, and there were so many uh, decent athletes, pro ball players, who participated in this, and the football sequences are pretty realistic, look pretty brutal, which you would expect because the guards are trying to take it out on the inmates, and the inmates really want to pay it back to the guards. 
<laughs> and of course, there's money involved, and whenever there's money involved, uh, <laughs> it goes up. It goes up and up. So, it but it still it still holds up. If you go back and if you look at the original, and here we're talking almost well, we're looking 45 years years ago. This thing came out. It's still a pretty interesting little film to watch. A lot of the, unfortunately, those actors, some of them aren't around anymore, and even some of those ball players aren't around. But it works, and it's a it's a it shows you the importance that a football game can have uh, in certain circumstances. This is a chance for uh, uh, redemption in some regards and payback and proving your worth or whatever to put some kind of aura over it. But it still works as a movie, and I gotta admit, Reynolds was really good in these types of films, playing those kind of guys. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yep, he was. Cannonball Run. And, yeah, all those. Uh, what's the other? What's the? Unfortunately, later in his career, he he got kind of kind of wacky, and uh, you know, so. Well, you know, when you get old, you get wacky. You, yeah, you know I know. That. I know, you know all about that. Right? I know all about it, yeah. <laughs> okay, my next one, since you mentioned Adam Sadler, I'm going to go ahead with this one. Sure. And I know how you're such a fan of Adam Sandler. Yeah. You I just love his movies. Yeah, I, I haven't seen too many of them. I, sh- I suppose <laughs> the one, I, I'm Happy Gilmore, I, I probably saw more of that one than any of his other movies. But well, this one is one of the more popular ones. It's called Waterboy from 1998. Mm-hmm. Directed by Frank Corsa, I'm terrible at pronouncing names, I'll tell you. Corsa, Corsia, C-O-R-C-I-A, sorry Frank. Starring Adam Sandler, Kathy Bates, and Henry Winkler, among a bunch of others Mm -hmm. that everyone will recognize. So Adam plays Bobby Boucher, uh, and he's a lowly water boy of a college football team until the coach discovers his amazing talent of tackling people much bigger than him. He signs the water boy as the new star player, but Bobby must keep it a secret from his overbearing and domineering mother. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's a little off. <laughs> and when he gets angry or someone makes fun of his mom or something like that, he gets this look in his eye and he just run and everybody in the way will be like dominoes, bowling pins, whatever. Um, and then you got, but you got his mom the whole, whole movie who's saying, football's the devil. Or girls are the devil. Or school is the devil. Everything was the devil. And he started finding out that Mama wasn't uh, being very honest. Um, I have a couple mm-hmm. trivia here. Uh, you want to comment on any of that? Kind? <laughs> uh, no, I, okay. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> so this film is the highest grossing sports comedy of all time, while another Adam Sandler vehicle, The Longest Yard, 2005, mm-hmm. is the second highest grossing sports comedy of all time. <laughs> the movie was the highest grossing football film of all time before beaten by The Blind Side, 2009. Kathy Bates appeared in both of those. Hmm. Yeah. And then when the filming was released in November of 1998, it was preceded by the trailer for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So many Star Wars fans who did not like Adam Sandler would pay a full admission price just to see the trailer and then they would leave. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> and man. This, this part you'll like. This film is included in Robert Ebert's most hated list of movies. Oh wow. So. Yeah, Roger Ebert. He, he was good, the late, the late Roger. He's, he's uh, he was one of the key, well, not everybody agreed with his, his drama criticism, but uh, I liked him, and I thought he was he was pretty cool. Siskel and Ebert, of course, was a classic on the old PBS. Well, so, I, I, you can see why Sandler gets his movies made. They to make you, a lot, what to you and your accounting. Uh, uh, Did I say t- what he made? I didn't even no, but when you say the second and first and second largest grossing football films, I mean, it's going to be decent money. Budget was $23 million. Which I, I don't understand. $23 million. Yeah. Unless it's just to pay the stars. But I, uh, when we look at the credits, do you realize, you, we've commented on this, anybody out there knows, if you sit through the credits, and we do to see who played what, who did what, and so on and so forth, there are hundreds, just a, a recent movie we saw, when we saw Angel Has Fallen, that credit ran like forever. There were gazillion people involved 
behind that. Yeah, but there were explosions and special yeah. effects. This yeah, is a guy running over people. Yeah, but there's still those people got to bring the sandwiches. They got to hold the microphones. They got to put the film, you know. It better be good sandwiches. <laughs> so uh, budget was $23 million and it grossed $186 million. Yeah. And again, like you said with Invincible, I've seen Waterboy. Mm. I don't know how many. Every time I see it on TV, you know, if nothing yeah. else is on, I'll, mm. I'll stay it. So rentals of videos, yeah. all that jazz. So that's the Waterboy. Okay, I'm going to go to this one next. Since you brought up uh, the Cleveland Browns, this uh, is the Express 2008 with Dennis Quaid and Rob Brown and Clancy Brown. Now, I'll explain that. For those of you who aren't aware, in 1963, the uh, Browns took as their number one draft choice a guy by the name of Ernie Davis, who played coming along in the shadow of Jim Brown at the Uni Syracuse University. Dennis Quaid plays the uh, great coach over there, Ben Schwartzwalder, and a guy by the name of Rob Brown plays Ernie Davis. And even Jim Brown helped recruit him to come and play there. And Clancy Brown, who many people know as the bad guard in Shawshank Redemption, uh, he's also an Ohioan, by the way. Uh, his father was a famous uh, long-term congressman and House of Representatives, U.S. House. Anyway, he's in that place as an assistant coach. And a guy by the name of Chadwick Boseman plays Floyd Little, who is the halfback who becomes famous after Ernie Davis and later plays for the Denver Broncos. But the story of the reason this is important, and every Cleveland Brown, since Eddie brought it up, Cleveland Brown fan who hasn't seen this movie should, and you better bring their Kleenex. Because for those of us who lived through that time and that era, remember that he developed leukemia after he uh, was drafted, and he never played a day for the Cleveland Browns. He died before that. So telling you ending the story before, but it's, it's, it's an historic film. What this film portrays is his, his putting up with the various aspects of discrimination as a black athlete for Syracuse, and they act, go to the Cotton Bowl. The reason the Cotton Bowl is significant, Syracuse went there before with Jim Brown, who accounted for all the points, but they still lost the game. This one, they win the Cotton Bowl. But he is mistreated, he's kicked, he's abused. Uh, Schwarzwalder, it, it's a great anti-discrimination, story of anti-discrimination as much as a football film. And the football is the vehicle for some social change, but it is a gripping and sad story at the time. And uh, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, who's played by an actor I didn't mention here, uh, I can't recall him offhand, who plays Art Modell. Art Modell was very close to Ernie Davis and did everything he could to make uh, his time with the Browns as good as possible. Well worth a look. And again, anybody who's a, a real football fan, this is a, about an individual who was um, probably destined for greatness and never got a chance to exhibit it. The Express, 2008. Since you're talking about the Browns mm -hmm. and uh, Chadwick Boseman, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the 2014 movie Draft Day, directed by <laughs> Ivan Reitman. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Somebody's in uh, this. Scenario. Starring Chadwick Boseman and Jennifer Gardner. Oh, God. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. I think we touched on this before once upon a time. Yeah. Here we that, go. Here we go again. Kevin Costner is the main person in the movie. <laughs> it's the NFL Draft. Cleveland Browns general manager, Sonny Weaver, has the opportunity to rebuild his team when he trades for the number one pick. He must decide what he's willing to sacrifice on a life-changing day for a few hundred young men with NFL dreams. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is a pretty good movie. He was under pressure because his father was the previous coach was the coach mm -hmm. and um i guess i can say this he in the previous season he actually fired his father because his mama told him to <laughs> <laughs> and the, his dad was he ended up dying he was dead by the time so within a year so right. it was more of a health thing but i liked the movie it was pretty cool seeing all the back and forth with the draft and that sort of thing and chadwick bosman the black panther agreed to take the role 
as Vontae Mack after a Skype call he had with director Ivan Reitman. Bosman first wasn't sure if he wanted to play another athlete or do another sports movie right after 42 in 2013, mm-hmm. where he played Jackie Robinson. Right, we talked about that in our baseball series. Yep. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that is pretty cool. Um, there is one part of the movie, so during the whole movie, some draft picks are made and are questioned, and you know, he's going back and forth with different things in his head. And I don't know if it was a trainer, an assistant, every, every once in a while this guy would come up and give him a tidbit about the number one draft pick. You know who I'm talking about? The guy would always come up and say, so-and-so, he had, oh, a bir- he had his 23rd birthday party, yeah, and yeah, guess the, how many people from his team was on the party? The kid from University Zero. of Wisconsin who was... Yeah, so it came, you know, he kept coming up, but the towards the end, um, there was a, a, a trick um, that was used by the Washington Redskins. They would tape a $100 bill to the back of the playbook mm-hmm. uh, and then send it to different um, prospects. Yep. Yeah, and the, the thought was is that you know that they've read all the way through because they either will keep the $100, return the book, or, you know, whatever. Well, this number one pick didn't return the book and throughout the movie they're going back and forth with their current football head or quarterback played by superman or clark kent i guess from smallville anyways and so the guy comes up and goes you know who the only person is that got the hundred dollars and gave it back the guy that's already on our team who's been working his butt off to be quarterback so i thought that was pretty cool but it was based off a true thing yeah it was inspired by an antidote of Jamarcus Russell. His coaches in Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, wow, Oak is in the name. His coaches in Oakland did not believe he was watching the game film and once purposely sent him home with a blank DVD to watch. He returned claiming he watched the video and liked the game plan, obviously lying. There was a similar story in the 1980s with Randall Cunningham as well. Wow. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Well, that's I not mean, cool. I mean, they yeah, well, no, line, no, but I mean, it's, cool it's just no, neat it's a cool story and that they grabbed it from. I love it. I love it. I and love those stories. They were actually supposed to use the uh, Buffalo Bills for this movie, but something. Oh, it was mm-hmm. cheaper. I guess Ohio has or had some tax breaks and stuff mm-hmm. like that, so it was cheaper for them to film in Cleveland. So that is draft day with yeah. Kevin Costner. Yeah, and I've watched it. A- I rewatched it not too long ago. Yeah, I like it. Well, Costner carries the film. I mean, you know, it's uh, and Jennifer. We love Jennifer Peppermint. You know, whatever. Hey, this is <laughs> a long way from Pepper. This probably shows how interesting NFL football is to the world. The budget on this movie was twenty-five million. In the United States, it grossed twenty-eight million. So it really didn't make too much. It only made three yeah. million more. The w- worldwide gross. So with the domestic and the worldwide was twenty nine million. So it only made one million dollars offshore. <laughs> so man, oh man, NFL oh football is not as popular overseas as well. This year, I don't know why. I I would have thought that film would have done much better than that. Holy cow! Well, maybe it yeah. didn't. Now that yeah. one for sure, the twenty five yeah. million went to the. <laughs> wow. Went to the actors. Had to. Well, I've got another film here, and this one deals again with tragedy. This is We Are Marshall, 2006. Uh, Matthew McConaughey playing the uh, uh, stars as head coach Jack Lingle. And I'll come back to that. And Matthew Fox plays an, an assistant coach. David Strathern plays the president of the university. And we're talking about uh, We Are Marshall and Marshall University in uh, Huntington, West Virginia. Anthony Mackey shows up as a... As a uh, top uh, player as a, well, actually a survivor. The reason I say tragedy, for those of you who aren't aware, in 1970, uh, the Marshall football players, along with uh, coaches and supporters and members of you know trainers and so on and so forth, were killed coming home from a, of a, uh, a game. And everyone on board was killed. And that left them without a football team. None, only a few survivors who didn't make the trip, one of which was Anthony Mackey because he was injured. Um, McConaughey plays Jack Lengel, who was coaching at Wooster, Ohio at the time. He was approached. 
and he took on the job of rebuilding the program. But the NCAA did not allow freshmen to play, and the only people they really had available would have been the, the surviving kids and, and freshmen uh, to rebuild for the next year. David Strathern, who plays uh, President Dedman, appeals to the NCAA several times, and through some ingenuity, they finally get the approval to start freshmen, and they rebuild the team. So it is a, a story of rebuilding and redemption. And Ian McShane, who is an actor we've come to like in uh, the role of Winston in John Wick, plays the father, the embittered father, of the starting quarterback of the, who was killed on the plane. And there's a, the, his son was in, engaged to this young lady, and there's, there's some side story on this. But it's really about how they rebuilt the team and uh, the redemptive factor of football helping to rebuild the community as well as the university. So I really didn't like McConaughey's portrayal of Lincoln. He's a little bit, I call it a little hokey somewhat, but I love the story so much. And uh, the interplay with the University of, of West Virginia, who does help them rebuild from a, from a uh, football strategy part. So it's well worth looking at, and it was directed by a guy by the name of McGee. That's his name. That's the, I don't know anything. McGee? McGee, yeah. <laughs> so I don't, but anyway, it's, that's well worth it. I have seen this several, several times. It's one of those films you kind of go to when you're kind of feeling... You need some some boost, and you're not feeling you know, quite up to par, and you it it turns you around, and you get inspired, and it's it's well, and and Mackey's really good, in in the role, along with Matthew Fox as the coach who's asked didn't want to come back to coaching, and he coached one year to get him get it rolling. We are Marshall, two thousand six. Never seen that movie, but I've I've wanted to. Yeah, you should see it's 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 a good little film. My next one is based on a true story, 2009, The Blind Side, directed by John Lee Hancock, starring Quentin Aaron, Sandra Bullock, and Tim McGraw. Michael Orr, a homeless black teen, has drifted in and out of the school system for years. Then, Leia Ann Toye, I think that's how he's pronounce it, and her husband take him in. The Toyes, if that's right, eventually become Michael's legal guardian transforming both his life and theirs. Michael's tremendous size and protective instinct made him a formidable force on the gridiron, and with help from his new family and devoted tutor, he realized his potential as a student and football player, first being accepted and earned All-American honors at Old Miss, and then drafted in 2019 by the Baltimore Ravens. I saw this movie. This was, this was a very good movie, very touching. Yep. Um, I do have some trivia here. I know that time is running out. But Julia Roberts was originally offered the role as the mother before Sandra Bullock. I thought this was kind of wacky. She turned it down three times because of her concern for playing the part of a devoted Christian. Sandra Bullock took a pay cut and agreed to a percentage of the film's profit, which was a very good, very good thing because it cost $29 million to make and it grossed three oh nine. Wow. That was a good idea. When it opened in 2009, it was the highest grossing opening weekend for any of Sandra Bullock's movies until it was surpassed by her film The Heat mm. in 2013 and a half year later, which it ultimately was surpassed by Gravity, 2013, less than four months later. Michael Orr also played for the Tennessee Titans and the Carolina Panthers. Mm. In 2013, in Super Bowl 47, when... The Baltimore Ravens beat the San Francisco 49ers. I'm sure you remember right. that pretty remember well, that. right? I remember that when the two brothers battling it out, Harbaugh versus Harbaugh. And uh, Michael earned a Super Bowl ring. He also played in the 2016 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, as part of the Carolina Panthers team that lost to Peyton Manning of Denver of the Denver Broncos. So, wow. Do you think Sandra Bullock is box office? <laughs> yeah, she won a, she won an Academy Award for that. Um, I yeah. do know that the 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 gentleman Michael Orr uh, in some interviews had said that he didn't like the movie 
be, because it was a distraction, not necessarily that he didn't like, like the movie, but it just was an added off-the-field distraction right. that he had. But um, I think it... You kind of made like him a target. He, they talked about him all the time. He was on TV, anything on Monday Night yeah. Football, he was there. So he obviously, you know, a football player, you don't want to be too high profile. Uh, somebody might want to take a shot at you. Yeah, exactly. You know, even though he's a, he's a pretty big guy and he's playing a lineman, but still. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so don't want to get any, any reason for the competition to have a, an ax to grind. So... Okay, the next one here, I'm not sure how well this did. I did not check the accounting, but this is a movie that is close to my heart, not because necessarily it's a great movie, but because it deals with a school. It was right across the street from where I lived. <laughs> it's, the movie is When the Game Stands Tall, 2014, starred Jim Caviezel as... Uh, Bob Latasseur, the coach of the legendary high school team in the San Francisco Barrier, actually in Concord, California, De La Salle High School. They're the Spartans. Uh, this, this movie tells the remarkable story of legendary coach, and that's Caviezel, who took this team from obscurity to a 151-game winning streak. Now, this is based, it's a true story, it's based on a book by the a writer, sports writer from the Contra Costa Times. In fact, I've got the book right here, Eddie, When the Game Stands Tall, and it's by Neil Hayes. And it's got a preface by John Madden and a foreword by Tony La Russa, the old uh, coach of the St. Louis Cardinals and the uh, Oakland A's, who lived, in the, who lived right in the, basically in the neighborhood. Uh, the sidebar to this is the principal of this Catholic school which gathers talent from all around the Bay Area, is Father Christopher Brady, who is the uncle of Tom Brady. More people know Tom Brady now as the oh, yeah. quarterback for the New England Patriots. And he is from San Mateo, a suburb in the San Francisco area where he, he started San Mateo High. But... Uh, the movie itself, and it has Laura Dern as Latticeur's wife, Clancy Brown shows up again as a uh, assistant coach, and Michael Chiklis, who played what the Y on the Wire, he's also in the Parker with uh, our our friend uh, Statham. Uh, he plays another uh, assistant coach, but it's a terrific story. The interesting the reason it's interesting to me, I happened to move into the house nearby when they lost their first game. And I moved there in the fall of 1991. They lost a game. And then they didn't lose. Start, starting the next year, they did not lose until right before I was ready to leave. So for 14 years, they were undefeated. And uh, it was pretty amazing. On Friday nights, that place jumped. Uh, <laughs> it was it was wall-to-wall -wall people standing three deep around the field. Because if you didn't get there earlier, you weren't a season ticket holder. Uh, even a visitor, you, you weren't going to get a place to sit. Uh, but uh, it's a good story. The only thing I didn't like about the movie, they weren't able to film, they didn't film it in California, they filmed it in Louisiana. And the f practice field, because I know so much about the setting for the thing, it, it, it rang untrue. But there's some tragedy in here. The, the best thing about Latasseur, he teaches religion at the school, it is a Catholic school. He does not teach winning, he does not stress winning, he stresses the commitment to the team, performing at the highest level. And these were good athletes, but they oftentimes were the smaller of the teams that they faced, and yet they beat them by many, many touchdowns because they were so well-organized and so well-disciplined. So that alone is a great image, and uh, they portray all that pretty well in the, uh, in the uh, movie. So there you go, When the Game Stands Tall. Uh, just check it in the Wayback Machine. The budget for the movie was $15 million. And similar to uh, Draft Day, uh, the gross domestically was $30 million, $127,000. Worldwide, including the gross, 30138 Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it, as I say, and, and Jim Caviezel is an interesting character. I'm not sure if you... 
I'll tell you who would have really looked like Bob Latasseur. You talked about Greg Kinnear. Mm-hmm. He's a little more similar, or uh, even Bruce Greenwood, who's Canadian, but he's a little older now. Uh, the, the similarity. Uh, I like Caviezel, but usually he pay, plays a little more, uh, not nasty, but a little bit more uh, edgier character. I'm not sure he was the best choice, but it's a good story. 2000, what was that, 2014? 14. The movie came out, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so my last movie, I'll zoom through here. Um, as you all know, that uh, I sometimes get trapped in the Disney movie realm. Oh, my God, no. Disney TV and stuff like that because my daughter's not as much anymore. But the movie I'm going with is one that I've seen several times. <laughs> 2007, The Game Plan, directed by Andy Fickman, starring The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, mm-hmm. Kara Sedwick, and Madison Pettis. The budget was $22 million and it grossed $148 million. The Rock plays an NFL quarterback living the bachelor lifestyle, but then all of a sudden he discovers he has an eight-year-old daughter from a previous relationship. So there's a lot of things going back and forth. It's a lot of um, the little girl kind of training The Rock how to yeah. be a father and some things that, that happen. I can't go too much into it because it'll... Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's some tragedy involved in it, and uh, it was a really good movie. Um, it was it was The Rock's first Disney movie, and this was the last film in which The Rock was credited as The Rock before he started doing Dwayne Johnson. So, thought that was pretty cool. Originally, the script called for the football team to be the New England Patriots. But negotiating with the NFL became difficult for producers, so they made up the team name instead. So it's professional ball, yeah. but it was under a weird name. But I thought it was a good movie. I love The Rock. I, I was watching something yesterday. They were talking to Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. getting up there in age and all that stuff. And he made a comment that entertainment-wise, in wrestling and in movies and all that kind of stuff, he, Hulk Hogan said, I knocked open the doors. The Rock tore the doors off the hinges. So, because you don't think of him as a wrestler anymore, no, really. No, and we've talked about it. It's interesting you say that. I happened to watch this morning on uh, Willie Geist on the Today Show was interviewing John Cena, and John Cena was saying that you know, he batted around and he was he he was down and out, and he went moved to L.A. because he wanted to be uh, well, he wanted to be kind of like a wrestler. He kind of admired that. But he didn't have any money. He lived in his car. This is off football, but this is this is to your point. The Gold Gym, I think it was Gold Gym, was open from like four in the morning till midnight. Mm-hmm. So he could go and spend the entire day there. He got a job. So he could be entire day there. He had a place to shower and whatever, and he lived in his car. So that's how he survived. And he, somebody told him, you know, you could, there's a school to teach you how to become a wrestler. Well, the guy he admired, of course, was Hulk Hogan, because Hulk was the big guy at that time. Right. So here he is now following in the footsteps. And he said, I don't want to give too many secrets away, but we do a kind of worry. <laughs> there is, now that we realize this is entertainment, we're not selling this as Olympic, as we're Olympic <laughs> challenges. <laughs> but it was very interesting, just to what you say, because whole, The Rock and guys like Cena, this is the continuing, the, the old guys either have to retire, they can't do it anymore, or they move off into something else. Right. And The Rock, the thing about The Rock, as we said, no matter the movie you watch, I mean, he's so likable. I mean, he's just, you just want to be with him. <laughs> you yeah. just want to hang with him on the, for two hours just in the movie house. Like you yeah. said uh, previously about, the, like, the John Cena, he's got a long way to go. I, oh, we, yeah. We saw Downton Abbey this weekend, mm. which was great. But one of the previews was this new fire fire rescue team. It's a comedy, and it has John Cena oh. as the fire captain. He's got a little ways to go. Yeah, no, I saw him in the Marine. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's an action-packed thing, and he could use his muscles and so on, but not everybody makes that transition and makes it believable. I mean, we're, you know, you're just there kind of thing, and you're right. famous and you're there. So it can be a dangerous road, too, to do that. 
Well, I'm going to close up here. I mean, we, there's a ton of these we could go into, but we've selected to do this. I mean, this is a fairly serious film because it deals with what the NFL is facing now in all college sports and high school and on down, and that's brain injury. And so I'm talking about the movie Concussion 2015 with Will Smith, Albert Brooks, and Alec Baldwin. And, of course, this Will Smith plays forensic pathologist Dr. Bennett Omalu, Omalu, and he is from Africa, and he is working in the Allegheny County Medical uh, Examiner's Office under the famous Cyril Wecht, who anybody who followed the O.J. trial or has seen anything that has to do with murders of significance in, in America, Cyril Wecht oftentimes inserted himself into those discussions. So some people look at him with a jaundiced eye, but anyway... Omalu, who knows nothing about football, was charged with uh, doing the autopsy on former uh, Pittsburgh Steeler and Hall of Fame center Mike Webster and discovers that there's neurological deterioration. And, of course, he starts the ball rolling and investigating the damage that's done to players from all this head contact. And he names the disorder chronic traumatic encephalopathy which we commonly call CTE now. And he publishes findings. And other fa athletes face the same diagnosis, but he crusades on this mission to raise public awareness about the dangers. And it details his personal life is evolving. And while, meanwhile, his efforts to get NFL leadership, who, of course, are trying to dismiss his findings, he's trying to get them to recognize this as an issue for his health issue for the players, and the NFL is fighting him all the way. And they're seeking to destroy him. So that sets the, the backdrop for this entire film. And as more players become aware or exposed with this, it's, it's pretty dramatic. And now, since he actually did this, several years have passed. And now we know that their NFL has taken a really uh, significant step towards trying to Im Im you know, protect their players. But it's a well-done film. Uh, he has to speak with a, a bit of an accent because he is from another country. But I, I found it uh, very good and frustrating as well when you see what, you know, when somebody's trying to, who has no ulterior motive other than science being resisted uh, by people who have uh, too much stake in, a, in what he's trying to <laughs> in, infer here. So that's concussion, Will Smith, 2015. Yeah, and I know the NFL now has their concussion protocol, and I've seen people be put into that and not come back for a couple of weeks. Uh, some come back the next game, but uh, they must go through some rig rigorous tests and examinations and healing and all that kind of stuff. What's interesting, since he didn't know football, he got hold of videotape that they had of practices, for example, with the Steelers. He estimated that Mike Webster had hit his head 100,000 times at least. Wow. In practice. And then the lineman as a center, these guys are button heads every play. Can you so, imagine back when they had, like, leather hats on, basically, playing? Interesting I mean, you should say that. I was speaking to a gentleman who played in 1940 just this morning. We were talking about the evolution of the game. My father played in the 30s, and the leather helmet that they had, no face guard, no right. face mask. Uh, frankly, my opinion is that once they put the cage on everybody, it made them fearless. You could really stick your head in there. And the better the helmets, the better I can take the abuse. So right. it's kind of like one of those perpetuations. You're trying to solve one problem, and actually you're creating a uh, consequence. That's an opinion. It's not necessarily uh, anything based on science, but having played and had a concussion at one point in time, uh, it hurts like heck, and you do have visionary problems, depth perception. You don't think straight, and it hurts. If you've really been dinged, it really hurts. And these guys are getting hit by big people a lot. And if you play, you, you see what these guys take. Even the quarterbacks are getting whacked. Anyway, another side story. We'll do a science story. I guess we have to do a, a whole thing on Science. science. <laughs> <laughs> you really get out of our element. Movies we might know something about. I'm not sure the science is. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a guest. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. 
Okay, I, I think uh, I was looking at the clock, Eddie. I think it's trying to tell us something. Well, Johnny, it looks like it is that time again. But before I turn it over to you, as always, thank you for listening and subscribing to our show. We have several awesome shows coming up. You do not want to miss our Halloween episode, which drops in three weeks. I know I'm looking forward to it. How about you, Johnny? You looking forward to the Halloween? Absolutely. I like to be scared. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got different feelings on that, but <laughs> it's going to be a blast, I'm sure. Uh, please tell your family and friends. Anyone can listen for free on Apple Podcast or iHeartRadio. New episodes will drop every Monday. I'm going to say this next line, but I know that visit Johnny's blog on our website. No, I, I'm going to put this. I'm going to put this up because we've got some other films in here that we can easily uh, add in. I'll start backwards. <laughs> Maybe I'll start backwards. I've been terrible, folks. Uh, so don't uh, don't worry about reading too much. Just, we'd rather you listen than read anyway. But yeah. my thought is, is that you know, a million years from now, when someone's listening to our podcast, by then the blog should be up to date. Up to date. Yeah. So. That it, additional commentary, show notes, and references will be there that were mentioned in the show. The easiest way to subscribe to our podcast is to visit our website, we'retalkingmovies.com. Click on the Subscribe Now link, which is located at the top of the page. If you have any show ideas or you just want to say, trick or treat, <laughs> send a comment through our website, DM us on Instagram, or tweet us at We Talking Movies. Also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash we're talking movies. We would love it if you would like our page. That's it for me. You know, I, I wish I could take the easy out and blame my staff for not being up to date on the blog. But oh, you mean all your interns and stuff? Yeah, all the you? interns. You know, they're, they're just undependable. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty lean operation, folks. There is no staff, let me tell you. Okay. Well, that looks like that's all for today, folks. Until next time, keep your eyes on the silver screen. And as we fade to black, this is Johnny Popcorn and Eddie Klieg saying so long till we're talking again. That's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Please clear the set.